Welcome to this week's um, Cool Tool Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Foster Huntington, and um, who is a really cool maker. And um, Foster, Foster, would you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, my name is Foster Huntington. I am a photographer and filmmaker now. In years past, I lived in my car for a while 10 years ago, or a little longer, 11 years, 10 years, 11 years ago. Um, now I uh, live in a treehouse outside of Portland, Oregon, and make stop motion films predominantly. But I've also made photo books and done a bunch of different things, I guess. Uh, that's yeah. really great. And do you have some cool tools for us that you want to share? I do. I do. I, uh, I, uh, I've heard Lloyd Con. I, Lloyd Con introduced me to your work and, uh, to your website. And, uh, so when you messaged me, I was like, Hmm, I wonder what I would have. Some of them are a little more, a little more, uh, a little rare or not rare, but I imagine you haven't had people be like, this is what I will have. <laughs> but, uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what we like. We like to have a variety of things. And one of the pleasures for me of doing these is that uh, I always hear about things that um, I had no idea even existed, which yeah. is really cool. And just enter into that world. So so the thing I always say about these is that um, this is not about like buying about a lot of tools. It's like knowing no. about these tools exist. Yeah. And sometimes just knowing that a tool exists is enough to provoke in you an idea about something to do or a way to do it that you didn't even think about before, whether or not you ever get the tool or not. Yeah. So let's hear what your first tool is. Um, well, I'm trying to remember what my first tool was, well, but I whatever. think just, just take whatever, whatever one you want to show. One of my favorite tools is this. It's a set of uh, Gen 3 night vision. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, one thing cool about being an American citizen is you can actually own this stuff. In a lot of countries, you can't own this stuff because it's predominantly reserved for military and law enforcement. But in the United States, anyone can buy it. And um, the technology is is pretty wild. It's analog. It's not digital. Oh. Um, so though and it's been around the technology has been around since uh, the end of the Second World War. But what it does is it it's just an image intensifier and it magnifies existing light like a hundred thousand, 150,000 times. Oh. So, and then, so what it does is uh, it takes electrons and convert, I might screw this up, but I think it takes electrons and converts it to protons and then amplifies it. Okay. And then it displays it on a, a phosphorus screen or a phosphor screen rather, not phosphorus. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's either white or green. These ones are are white phosphor. And uh, I would describe it as everyone that I show it to is like, oh, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and so, it's a superpower. You can yeah, literally yeah. see in the dark. So um, um, what do you do with them? I mean, it's like, yeah, you have the superpower. Um, and so do you like, it's like, I can't, you can't really hunt at night, but no, I mean, I, I got them for stargazing, walking at night. Uh, like when I, I have two sets of them and, you know, I was hanging, I've mentioned Lloyd Kahn, but when I hung out with him, we went, we rode bikes around Bolinas at night, you know, and you just have, you have a helmet and uh, you have a 40 degree field of view, but you can see everything. Um, so, you know, wow. 
or all where I live, you know, living in Washington state, it's dark and, you know, it, it, it's dark for a large portion of the year. So I'll go on night hikes with my dad or, uh, well, it's watch. Good enough, it's good uh, enough to hike with. You have enough of a field of view that you actually yeah. feel comfortable. Yeah. Walking. People compare it to having, looking through two toilet paper tubes. <laughs> right. Um, but it's pretty amazing. A friend of mine that's in the military showed me his five years ago. And after that, I was like, oh, that I'm going to get one of those someday. <laughs> it's, it's, I would say it's probably my favorite piece of technology that I've ever wow. had. So and, um, are there particular models or varieties that are better than others? And Well, one thing that's wild about it is that the technology around it is so proprietary. And it's also like, it's a dark science. I mean, they make them and no two. It's not like making an LCD screen where it's like with these image intensifier tubes, no two tubes are identical. Oh. Um, and they have these towers where they drip hot molten glass to get like the right dimensions for the image intensifiers. And there's only, I think, three places in the in the world that make Gen 3 tubes. Like the rest of the world has Gen 2, which is just like a different level of image intensifier. But the U.S. is the only country with Gen 3. Right. And uh, there's two companies that make them. One of them is called um, L3 Harris. And then the other company is, uh, what are they called? Uh, I forget. It used to be called another company, but there's just two companies that make them. And they pretty much, uh, they, they're they both Gen 3 and they're, I mean, it's pretty crazy. It's insane. It's so cool what you can see. So the ones um, that you have, what what's the, the brand and the model? These are L, this, okay. So pretty much what you're buying is the image intensifier. And these are L3, uh, unfilmed white phosphor and the way they do figure out like they value of the tubes it's kind of like horsepower where it's where they take the signal to noise ratio meaning at what can they discern from the darkest to the brightest it's like the the uh you know it's contrast. like a, yeah it's like the contrast and then you multiply that by the resolution which is these ones are like 72 line pair so it's kind of like 72 dpi it's kind of like yeah. a little bit of a a uh equivalent and right. then you multiply those together and that kind of gives you the level of how how power how much power these tubes have there's a bunch of other specs that are important but these these ones are are pretty dang good they're like as good as anything in the military and predominantly people pilots use these so they can fly planes at night and helicopters at night. Wow, wow. Um, and I, and I have them for night hikes or just watching. One thing I love doing is when there's, you can see there's so many shooting stars that aren't uh, visible to the human eye that you can see with these. So I'll go out on any given night and I'll just watch the sky and see all sorts of satellites that are, you know, aren't bright enough to be seen by the naked eye. And then so many shooting stars that you can't see with the naked eye. And then, you know, just like walking around your yard, so many animals are used to having darkness be this like cloak for them. So like rabbits or cats or all these things are like, they're like, Oh, I know that's a human. And based off of my history, like, I, I know they can't see me, but I can see them. But, you know, you can like, you know, so you can walk up really close to rabbits and stuff like that. It's <laughs> it's a total trip. Um, and about how much do they cost? Five to ten thousand dollars. <laughs> They're expensive. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. 
it's uh it's one of those things where the sense it's not well the real deal is that digital technology is going to get way better uh-huh. uh in the next you know probably 10 years and those are just just you know camera as camera sensor technology advances to the point where they'll be, have some kind of equivalent of these um mm-hmm. in terms of light uh light amplification but these things like one cr23 battery lasts 24 hours in these things because it's an analog technology they're super efficient um it's that one of these little batteries will last you know a day wow of continuous use so it's very specialized um and a bunch of different companies make the housings i think in the list that i submitted was a link to a different housing that's made out of machined aluminum. I have a different housing here. They also make monocles, a, a monocular as opposed to a binocular. The cool thing about binoculars, you have, you know, you have stereo vision, so uh, uh, you can kind of it, you can have some depth perception as opposed to just if you have one, you right. can only see stuff. But it's. Uh, it's real. There's a bunch of really cool. Another thing I didn't add on the list is a thermo monocular. That is super sweet. I don't know if you've ever looked through one of those. What you mean it's registering like infrared and in the, in the yeah thermal. So it's like heat. This is just IR. This is just near IR light. So you know there's a bunch of things that you wouldn't realize are emitting IR light. Like if you look at a cell phone with night vision, yeah. it has there's thermal there's IR light constantly flashing because it has an ir camera i think that's partial partially how they do uh facial recognition but thermal is another really cool thing because you can look in your house or you can look outside and you see all these things they're like emitting heat that you wouldn't realize are emitting heat you know also you could animals and things should definitely animals yeah contrast super sharply so that's they're not you know i think they're tools because it's a superpower, yeah. you know, like yeah. you can people binoculars are tools. Well, this is a tool that allows you to see half the day, you know, half of our lives are dark. Right. So this is a, that's a really, way. really. Fantastic. And there's so many wild applications for it. Um, you know, you can see like campfires from so much wow. further away. Right. You can see all sorts of different. You're like, I didn't know there was a light there. Oh yeah. That's like someone's garage and they have a light there. And uh have yeah, you tried it's pretty, doing photography through it. Yeah, you can. So that's one of the big uses for it. Are uh, astro like people that are in astronomy buy these things and they take uh-huh. photos of all sorts of constellations and stuff. You can see rings of planets and st- with these, like you know Saturn. You can see the rings oh, wow. of Saturn, and you're like, whoa, there's this, there's a ring on that planet, and you can't see with the naked eye. Wow, um, wow, that's really. Great. There's all sorts of different it's really really wild stuff i mean it's one of those things where the first time i put them on i'm like okay well this is the coolest thing i've ever seen yeah and yeah they're expensive but people buy spend a lot of money on dumb shit you know like you know ten thousand dollar mountain bikes which isn't dumb i get it it's cool but this is a superpower you know like there's and that's a you know five to ten thousand dollars is a is relatively inexpensive for a superpower in my opinion and because of how they're manufactured they have thousands of hours of life for these image intensifiers so it's pretty much 
they're not going to burn out. You know, it's not like a camera where there's only a certain amount of shutter exposures or, uh-huh. uh, you know, yeah, stuff like that. That's really fantastic. You're right. I've never, I've never had that recommended. So that's a, it's a new one for me. But thank you. So what would be another cool tool that you would like to share? Well, this is a a Leatherman uh, Skeleton tool, which um, I'm sure people have recommended this before. But it's just a it's just a small multi tool that has a pliers, it has a locking uh, screwdriver, a bottle opener, and then uh, yeah, basic knife. And the way the reason why I like it because it's it's actually small enough. It's small enough to actually put in your pocket. So you carry that's an everyday carry for you. Yeah, that's an everyday carry. I I carry it in lieu of a pocket knife. And there's so many times where a little pliers is useful. Uh-huh. And uh I'm trying to think of like, you know, an equivalent site to give something for reference. But you know, here's a pen and then here's this thing. It's it's not much thicker. Um so it's like so. having a fat pen in your pocket. Yeah, it's like having a fat pen. It's pretty heavy, but there's just so many times I, I, for years I carried a bench made uh, knife, yeah. but this, there's so many times where it's, you know, for, you can have a Phillips head and, and or a flat head and they're actual, you know, removable bits. Right. So right. Uh, that's something that's, you know, I would say super useful. Um, and do you just, carry it in your pocket or do you have a little pouch? I carry it, it in my pocket. That's one thing that's nice about this. Right. Um, but uh yeah that's that's kind of my preferred pocket knife and it's better than a swiss army knife i think it's better than a swiss army knife because the pliers is is very useful um and robust too you can cut wires with them you can strip wire not that you need a you're going to be doing electrical stuff with them but you can do and you can like you know here with this you can you can tighten nuts if you need to Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the screwdriver is better. I mean, it was so funny. I was just camping with my mom and her boyfriend and we were just like, she, they had a Swiss army knife and I had this and we were having a little like, you know, debate as to what was more useful. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, you there know, are, the I think in a lot of ways, the Swiss army knife, it's kind of antiquated, you know, where it has like the leather punch, the all, I think is what it's called. It has the, you know, it has the wine opener, which is really cool, but so much more wine these days is, you know, twist off or like, I don't think you're like going camping with a wine bottle as much, you know, people have beer or whatnot. Um, and the, these things are, are really, I think they're really pretty sweet from a knife perspective because so much of what you do with a pocket knife is you know i'd be like oh i'm trying to tighten this screw with my pocket knife and i'd be like trying to tighten it with the tip of the screw or or with the tip of the blade or uh-huh. you know um so many times i've been like okay this is sweet you know like working on like on a bike ride and you're like i need to tighten this nut or you know here's a phillips head and a a flathead you can use for prying and stuff like that they have one that's like a little more suited for prying and you can get a bunch of leverage with it too so yeah yeah which would be great i use it uh, and they're um this is the skeleton uh yeah this is called the leatherman skeletool s-k-e-l-e-t-o-o-l and yeah yeah, i think they're made in portland oregon or at least wow wow um yeah it's a great it's a great um carry so yeah 
Thank you for that. Um, What's another um, favorite tool of yours? I actually got to go grab it. I'll be right back. Okay. And I'm back. My other favorite tool is a, a Ryko GR3, I think. It's a digital point and shoot. And what I like about it is it has a ASPC size sensor. So it's um, not quite full frame, but it's, it's much larger than a cell phone. And this has a fixed focal length of 28 millimeters, which is uh, a really good standard lens size. And as a photographer, I love it. I've taken some photos I really like with it. And uh, it's very popular among street photographers because it's small, it mm. fits in a pocket, it has good autofocus, it has decent ISO range, but it shoots a really nice image. Mm -hmm. And I think like, you know, you can, even though camera iPhones are getting really good or camera phones are getting really good, they're still use super small sensors. So optically, it's not that impressive. Whereas with this, you know, I'd be fine putting these photos in a photo book or something like that. Whereas with an iPhone, I would like begrudgingly do that, you know? Um, and they're not that expensive. They're, I've just looked when I think, I think they're like 800 bucks. I've had this one for four years, three years. And the lens doesn't fully go back into into the body, but it, I've put this thing through hell. And you can see how, you know, it has all yeah, yeah. sorts of, it scratches and the body right, 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 right. Is, is worn out. And, you know, I just, pop it out, take a photo. I think I have like a, you know, just a 128 gig SD card in here. And this is kind of how I, I document stuff. I'm, I'm one of those people that I don't like having much of the stuff in my pocket. So I, the one thing in my pocket is normally my car keys and a pocket knife. Other than that, I carry my wallet and, uh, I actually, I've been shooting a bunch of film, uh -huh. 35 millimeter, because oh. it forces me to slow down slow and down. Yeah. Yeah. a little more, uh, yeah. you know, discerning with my choices. Right. And uh, this is a Fuji film. Uh, it's called a Kloss. And the thing that I like about this, which is pretty wild, is they stopped making these in 2013 or something like that. So yeah. it was like a very late. Uh, and they're not they're not as popular as some of the other options of the premium point and shoots, but I uh, I really like it's a great camera. So, you know, I normally have two cameras in this little bag here and my wallet and then a spare roll of film. And then in the front of my little case, I have a a, a toothbrush. <laughs> a uh, I. I do have, uh, this is my original Swiss army knife that I had okay. when I was a boy scout. All right. Uh, which is, you know, a little, and it's just basic two blade one. And then I have a lighter because you never know when you're going to need flames. Right. And then I have uh spare batteries. Wow. So that's wow. kind of like, you know, I know this isn't like a conversation of everyday carry or whatnot, but those are some of the tools that I think are super useful 
yeah. to have with me because you know I'm a photographer and filmmaker, so I need to be kind of documenting things. Sure, sure. And uh, you know, I also uh, I there's so many times where it's good to have a knife or good to have a, a a lighter or something like that. There's you know I live rural, I live in the woods, so it's like I cook outside a bunch uh-huh. on a barbecue and yeah, I you know there's always even if you're just using a lighter for just like burning an end of a rope or something like that, mm-hmm. I think there's ton tons have of have you seen the little tiny mini Bix for back? I haven't. Oh yeah, the ones are like this big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the ultra lights. It's like you have uh, they're half size. They're they're really great because um, I mean, how many times you're not going to use them up while you're on? Yeah. So it might you don't need to carry all that extra two ounces of weight yeah exactly another thing that i like one of my friends is a is a survival instructor like rural survival like a wilderness survival instructor and he says that he doesn't even recommend people use lighters he recommends people get good with a ferro rod because one thing cool about them is they doesn't matter if they're wet or dry whereas lighters if they get wet and then also um there's nothing that can break on them really Yeah. So that's another like you know, yeah. Fire. But I I have yet to have one of those big ones fail. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they're and the thing about the strikers is that you have to find fuel. Yeah, well, you need carry, a, carry a little bit of fuel and a thing, and that's called a lighter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the lighter is far. More, I mean, the lighter is. This is really just like you know I've been I've been pr- trying because it is so much harder to start a fire with one of these. I've been practicing oh. it, being like, all right, I'll have a lighter just in in case, but I'll try first and foremost yeah. to do it with the ferro rod. And yeah, right. it's definitely no. See, it's just like let's, let's imagine what's the smallest little tiny piece of flint I could get, and then some yeah. fuel, and oh yeah, we'll call that a lighter. Yep, <laughs> it's very efficient. So, um, so the, the, so the, I don't know if you're familiar, there was a, a National Geographic photographer named Jim Brandenburg who did this fantastic uh, exercise that was actually published in the magazine where he took l- one exposure of film a day. Mm-hmm. Of Only his face? One. Only one. And he was shooting nature. He was shooting like animals and, uh, it was up in the the borderlands, up in Wisconsin or Minnesota. So, he, and he only allowed himself one exposure a day, and he did one for ninety days. And he did a book later on, but it was the discipline to do one exposure a day is unbelievable, yeah. very powerful. And he was yeah. doing film, so he would basically shot three rolls of film in ninety days with one exposure per day. Yeah. I I think that I you know I I'm a full like in my studio we use all digital cameras and whatnot right. obviously because we're doing stop motion, but personally I like shooting film a lot because of you have less um, you know it, like you said it's Drink. there's this you're forced to have forced to have this you're discerning so much more being like, Oh, is this worth this exposure? Yeah. You know, is this, is the juice worth the squeeze? And then another thing I think is interesting about it is in the foot race of digital camera production, very little emphasis is put on dynamic range. Most emphasis is put on image resolution and low light performance and stuff like that. 
And with a digital camera, with a film camera, you're pretty much, you're obviously going to digitize it, but you're outsourcing that digitizing to, a, depending on what scanner you use, a really large, powerful scanner that has a way better image resolution or be able to resolve an image digitally than any point and shoot can. So although you're talking, you know, very small differences in dynamic range, to the discerning eye, I can be like, okay, yeah, this is 13 stops or something, 13 and a half, and this is 11 and a half. And I can tell, you know, based off of the information and the shadows and the highlights and stuff. So as like a photographer, I'm like, oh yeah, I th there still is a role for film photography. I think it's getting displaced now by all this medium format digital stuff, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But uh, I personally still am a little bit of a, I like shooting film. I like look. I like looking at it. There's a whole process with it, you know. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I submit. I send in my rolls of film, and uh, a week and a half later, I get an email with a two gig digital mm -hmm. download to my. And it's just like Christmas for me. I'm like, oh, great, you know. This As opposed to being wrong. like, all right, yeah, what did I get here? Oh, nope, I gotta shoot it. You know, like it's yeah, yeah. it's a different, uh, you know, and it's more for personal stuff. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I shot film early on in my career in in Asia, where I did not see the film for nine months until yeah. after I shot, and that's a really terrible way to learn. By the way, no, it's terrible. <laughs> like it's awful. You have no Especially if you're shooting manual focus, or you don't manual know focus. if you're manual. You don't know exposure. if your light meter's fucked. It's just like you're screwed. Right, and nine months later. So yeah. Anyway. Um, Let's hear about your fourth uh, pick. An AeroPress coffee maker. So um, I, I'm drinking currently coffee from an AeroPress. Um, and are you familiar with an AeroPress? Yes. I'm yeah, not so, a coffee drinker, but it is, uh, it, it, it is often recommended. So the way I like it, the reason why I like it for various reasons. One, that actual coffee snobs who are do it professionally, like they're doing tastings and guatemala and panama to buy beans for a fancy coffee roaster the way they all taste it based out of an aeropress and they prefer it to you know like these super expensive drip coffee makers mm -hmm. and what's great about it is it, it from a taste perspective is you can control all your variables so much so you can you know ideally you have your your water at a specific temperature like 172 degrees you um and then you have your grounds grinded at the right level. And then you have them let it stoop the right amount. And then that's great. So you have amazing tasting coffee. And then the thing that I like about it is, you know, I lived in a car for three years. I spend, you know, I don't know, maybe 100 days a year camping or tra maybe less than that, maybe 80 days a year camping sometime in my car or driving around, you know, like backpacking or camping like that and the way that i think i love about it is with the with the aeropress you can it's the easiest cleanup you just pop out this little can like a little tube and it's just you just get your little compressed grounds and voila it's not a, as opposed to a french press or some other kind of drip maker where you have this mess of grounds with an aeropress it's incredibly easy cleanup and it's very efficient from how many grounds you use perspective because it's designed to perfectly make one cup. So as opposed to like 
when you have a fancy drip maker or a Chemex or something like that, you know, it's you end up wasting a lot of grounds. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this system, it's very efficient. So I, I can, you know, my coffee kind of goes the distance. Um, and I, to me, you know, to me, it's a tool. I, it, so I, I drink like one or two cups a day and they're also, they're cheap. They're like 40 bucks. Whereas like a nice coffee maker can be hundreds of dollars. So yeah, yeah, this yeah. is kind of my preferred. I have a bunch of them. I keep one in my car. I keep two in my house. It's really my preferred means of drinking coffee. Right. Um, you, there's a bunch of different cool little tricks for them. And the one thing I really like little known fact is you can reuse the, the paper filters. Um, a lot of people throw them out, but I reuse them. Like, I think you can reuse them like up to eight to 10 times. So you just, you just rinse, rinse them and then just rinse them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's something that I kind of always, I'll always have an AeroPress. You know, I keep one in my car on my, in my car, I keep one with me and it's, you know, it's, uh, a great Coffee is just one of those things that I actually give a shit about. Like I'll, I'm fine eating food from gas stations and whatnot, but I refuse to drink gas station coffee um, or like Starbucks coffee. I can't do it. Really? Yeah. It just have the taste. Yeah. Well, one thing that it's often, you know, well, there's this misconception that with coffee, that the darker it is, the more caffeinated it is. And often when it's dark, it's just burnt. They end up burning the beans to the point where it loses all of its flavor and its caffeine. So mm -hmm. I like to just, you know, buy coffee, buy the pound from a place I like, and then I just grind the grounds and make coffee. And it's it's a bit of my, you know, my morning ritual. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, I think it's the AeroPress is the across all these different situations. I can have the most consistent coffee, you know, from a baseline perspective. So I travel, I bring it with me a bunch, you know, I, right. I, uh, so do I you really, still have a, a modified vehicle to, to, to sleep in when? Yeah. Yeah. I have a Ford F three fifty okay. with a slide in four wheel camper. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just got back last night from camp, a camping trip. Um, I have it set up with, uh, you know, I have solar and uh, lithium ion batteries in it. And I have a diesel furnace that pulls diesel fuel from my fuel tank. So I can, you know, have it be warm in the winter right, and right. stuff like that. It's. Do you have a Starlink uh, uh, uplink? Oh, I do have Starlink, but uh, I don't bring it with me most of the time because i like not have it being on my phone you know i like i i'd rather not have technology with me at all the time but i do have starlink and starlink is it's it's fantastic you know uh -huh. do you have it yeah have you used it well no I, I don't um i have a fiber optic to my house um and i don't have a mobile um you know rv or anything yeah if i did i would i probably would have the connectivity um yeah it's really good yeah and like i live rurally here but i just so happen to be close to a, a main fiber line so i pay for 100 megs up and down and then i use a point to point relay for about a mile from my house to a tree close to the fiber line and uh but you know the thing about it is if a branch falls, I'm screwed. Or if it's really snowy, 
like the the branches will droop over my antenna so that's the reason why i got the starlink as a backup yeah um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it, it's really cool. It 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 draws a lot of power though. So I don't I don't have the batteries in my oh, car to just like maybe. support like a night of internet. You know, I could do a oh, couple really? hours, but wow. okay. yeah, I think it's like a hundred watts or something like that. Like it draws oh. a, a bunch really, of juice. I can't believe it because it'd be hot. I mean, it would have to be warm at a hundred watts. Maybe it's 60 watts. It's a lot. I remember looking at it and being like, oh damn, that's a lot of juice. <laughs> um um, I think it's 60. Maybe I'll look, I'll look it up. But yeah, yeah. I remember being like, oh, yeah, it's pulling it's pulling some pulling some juice. Stain. Uh-huh. So. Um, so um, so tell us about what you're passionate about these days or what your current project is or what you want to share with our audience. Well, uh, I think what I'm what I'm passionate about now. So I for the last five years, I've really focused on doing stop motion films and um, I have a stop motion studio here and throughout COVID, I was making a bunch of stop motion commercials and films. We have a, we just had a project for Nike uh, about uh, how they're going to be making shoes sustainably for the, for their mm-hmm. 50th anniversary. And then we have a commercial for Rivion coming out soon that we fin- we made, but what I'm really passionate about right now is just kind of re- relaxing and getting into a bit of a creative flow because I'm a firm believer in the idea that creativity is like a a fuel tank where you can't you have to replenish it and you have to fill it up and for me how I fill it up is having a bunch of time off going on camping trips with my family hanging out with friends you know going on road trips by myself getting it into a little hobby and tinkering and building stuff in my shop and then that kind of gives me you know uh the ability to like to come up with new ideas um, my first job out of college was I worked at Ralph Lauren, the fashion design, fashion mm-hmm. company doing concept design. And pretty much what we did was just come up with line direction ideas. Mm-hmm. And I learned very quickly that it's when you're at, when it's your job to come up with ideas, you kind of there's a direct correlation to how much. How many ideas I can come up with and how much free time I have when I'm like working 60 or 70 hours a week, I can't I can execute ideas, but I can't. Uh, I can't yeah. come up with any, you know. Yeah, I call. I call. I say a good work ethic requires a good rest ethic. Yeah, a hundred percent. You need. And I to think have that, sabbaticals, sabbaticals, yeah. vacations, vacations, time off, goofing off, tinkering. Yeah, and those, I think that's one thing that's really undervalued in our culture right yeah. now is the whole like rise and grind set or whatever, where right, people right, are right. like, you know, really like people are bragging about how productive they are and how much they work and i mean i've been there i (laughs) i've worked you know 70 hour 80 hour weeks on projects and it's it's fucking exhausting physically and mentally so i think uh productivity is overrated and um rather than spending a lot of time trying to spend as little time on getting something done i i would much rather try and find something that i want to spend as much time on exactly yeah Exactly. So rather than reducing the time, I want to maximize the amount of time. I mean, I think that ultimately, as time goes on, you know, we are going our difference because there's always going to be machines that are going to be able to do things, menial tasks better. You know, like it's like being an accountant or a tax lawyer. I would not want to be in a tax. I would not study being a a, a tax lawyer or an accountant now because in 10 years, that industry is going to be 
you know, maybe a tenth as many people working in it, just because it's, you know, AI is going to be totally nuking all that stuff. Whereas, you know, being a creative person, you really need it. That's a muscle too, that you need to develop because as of now, I don't, there's a few things that computers can't do and, you know, have making these creative connections and coming up with ideas is one of them. So I think people need to put more emphasis in doing that, having ideas, doing things like writing, you know, like I, I, uh, there's a lot of things that just take a lot of time that yeah. you can't do if you're just executing stuff all the time. Right. And there's definitely a time and place for execution mm. of ideas, but right now I'm putting a lot of emphasis and, you know, a sabbatical of my own. So I haven't really done much since, uh, since like May or June. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you I've just, played around with Midjourney and Dali in terms of concept art? I haven't. Okay. So, so this is the AI that, that generates concept art from prompts. Oh, uh, okay. I, yeah, I haven't heard yeah, of it. I haven't seen it. A lot of time. And, and, and it actually, it is, it is creative. These machines are creative. Yeah. Um, and oh, I definitely think they will be, you know, it's, it's really remarkable. Um, they're not capital C creative in terms of like, something that's so so different it changes the medium but yeah definitely thinking of things that no no one has ever thought of before yeah doing it and um but but working with them is the new art and yeah people spend hours and hours and hours and hours working with them to get somewhere that that looks cool so it's not just the ai it's the ai plus the artist. yeah and that's what i kind of think the future is is you're like you know uh you're like a shepherd with yeah. a she with your flock of AI right. coming yeah. up with ideas and you're kind of like the yeah, puppet. You're over here. No, no, no. Come, come back yeah, that's me. wrong. No, that's right. Yeah. Follow <laughs> me. Like come and bring it in. The wolves come are again. coming after you again. <laughs> yes. You're kind of directing it. Um, yeah. And so your, your stop motion, are you using like armatures and characters or. Yeah, you... exactly. Uh, it's all metal armatures. Yeah. And um, right now actually we're, I'm working on a science fiction feature film that's stop motion. I've been working on it for four years and we wow. just raised money to do uh, a, uh, to do, to write a script and do casting. We shot a proof of concept, which I'll, I'll send to you offline. Um, uh -huh. It's not, can't show it to the real the full yeah. world yet, but to kind of give you an idea of uh, what it looks like. But yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm focusing on. I kind okay. of, had the real project have a, have a name so people can look out for it yeah it's called wake me up and we get there okay. uh it's uh i'll give a little bit of the spiel um in the future i think people are going to go on space trips the same way that we go on road trips today so for example you know we'll go see a, a distant star system the same way that people road trip to yosemite right right and my theory is that people will still want to see and experience these things yeah. with their organic bodies, but they'll obviously put their, they'll, since the travel is so far, they'll put their bodies into stasis. Okay. And then you'll wake up when you get there. So, okay. uh, and the idea is that when human bodies are in stasis, they're going to transfer their consciousness over to these robots. So the whole film is these conversations between robots, you know, on this long travel to get to this place. So that that's kind of the premise of the film. So um, so to occupy the time you're saying yeah. in between 
you'll be downloaded into a robot and they interact with each other in the yes exactly to maintain the ship and to make sure things don't break and stuff like that and And then when they arrive there they go back into their human body and take it's little yeah my idea wasn't for it was when i was traveling a bunch for work you know i'd see these people who are on their plane they'd be on their ipads or their phones and then they're like oh all right, I'm in front of the Eiffel Tower. All right, click photo, <laughs> photo shoot. All right, now back to in front of my phones is you know, and I'm like, all right, well, what's that going to look like in a hundred years or uh-huh. five hundred years? You know, it's like that because isn't you know the goal of someone? There's a famous quote about the goal of technology is to smash the the distance between or the time between distance between places or something like that, where it's just like if you know you can if you. So that way you can just kind of control your consciousness yeah. like a light switch being like, all right, I want to be conscious now. All right, boom. All right, cool. Turn it off. When we get to fucking Alpha Centauri uh-huh. or whatever, I'll turn my brain back on and I'll be able to see it. Okay. And yeah, I'll have the the signature space burger at this place and then <laughs> I'll go back to sleep and well, that make sounds sure like they have the robots do all the menial task of like feeding my human body and like making sure the ship doesn't crash. Uh, do, do people remember their time as a robot or is that just i think they do yeah in my in my universe they will remember that time they'll just because be they like can have arguments game. about how they were treated each other when they were robots like yeah exactly you know, like you know i didn't like the way you were treating me yeah like were, what but, was that about you know yeah right uh, <laughs> and the guy said so, well i had i had a kink in my in my yeah my, i ran out of hydraulic oh, fluid man i couldn't move I like know. of course i asked you to maintain the plants like come on it sounds like fun i look forward to it it's a lot of fun it's you know and it's more fun than making commercials i can tell you that yeah Um, well um this has really been great foster sink thanks for um sharing your really cool tools especially that um uh light imager the night vision that's really cool Um, it's you gotta see it to believe it yeah it's it's, take a look at me I'll I'll let you know next time I'm down in the Bay Area and I'll yeah. bring by and you could stare yeah. at the stars. All right, we'll go out at night up on the yeah. hills. Okay, yeah. well, All thank right. you so much. We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this cool tools show and tell is also available in an audible podcast form you can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts if you just wanted to listen and if you're listening know that there is a visual version of this on our youtube channel where we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there in addition the same folks that put us uh, the cool tools website out we also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can deal with it in a couple minutes. And every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce. But we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag. 
We have one that goes out to um, tools and tips for your workshop. So you can get those at our website um, and they're also free. And finally, um, I wanna mention the fact that um, we do have a Patreon and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by Patreon supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month. And for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We will respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page. And all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan. And um, we'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. Thanks to this week's Patreons. They include Rachel Steele, Michael Lenardi, David Robson, Varo Patel, James Boismer, Daniel Cochran, Edge Cetra, Melissa Feldman, and Jeremy. Thank you all.